Well, I'm hearing rumblings, rumblings that here in New York City, middle schools will be open to full-blown in-person learning on February 25th. How quickly the situation has changed. And of course, it'll all be uh, accounted for by saying, well, it's much safer now, now that we have the vaccines. The vaccines which were uh, only brought into being because of the warp speed operation started by President, former President Donald Trump. Nothing to do with the Biden administration, but they'll take credit for it. Uh, but a few months ago, they, they couldn't go back to school. And there's still pushback being given in big, major Democratic cities like in uh, Philadelphia, I believe, and definitely in the city of Chicago, which is a longtime Democratic stand, uh, stronghold and um, a sewer of corruption. Uh, but that's what's going on. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so, uh, please subscribe to the show. You can do that by going either to your native App Store, the iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, and subscribe to the NPO podcast. You can also download the Podbean app in either of those two locations and subscribe to the show that way. However you do so, you won't regret it because you'll be notified every time a new episode is uploaded on the show, and you'll be able to make comments and give feedback uh, as to what you think of the show and review it. And we please do ask you to review the show. Uh, We depend on your reviews to help drive up um, the ratings of the show so it is more readily found and so that it can continue to expand and we continue to give these uh, broadcasts to you and, and the information that you need that you're not getting in other places. So... The tune has changed. The CDC is working on new guidelines. Everyone now wants to get the children back to school. Even sleepy Joe Biden wants to get the children back to school because people realize, as we've been saying all along on this show, that learning remotely from an iPad and a device, devices which kids already spend far too much time on, in my opinion, to begin with, now their days are just becoming 24-7 computer screens, iPads, tablets, phones, computers to go to school, and then iPads, tablets, and phones for recreation because kids don't go out anymore. They don't want to play. They want to play on devices. And even if they did want to play, the parents are now apprehensive about letting the kids get together in large groups because they're all worried about COVID, COVID, COVID. We're deathly afraid of this terrible disease that has a 99.5% recovery rate. And for children, it's 99.9% recovery rate. So naturally, we have to turn the world upside down for a virus that has a lethality, uh, which is essentially non-existent. Now, I don't want to get anybody's feathers ruffled. I do know that people have died from this thing. But I also know that that is a fraction of the number of people who have been infected with this virus. And I also know that here in the United States, as I've told you many times before, that 94% of the 450-some-odd thousand people who have died had, on average, 2.6 other comorbidities. Only 6% of the people that have died were in otherwise perfect health. And we can always assume that a certain small percentage of those people 
perhaps had undiagnosed comorbidities. So this is not this lethal contagion that they want you to believe it is or believe it was that they used to have mail-in voting and steal an election. It's nothing of the sort. This is not the bubonic plague revisited. If you want to see about here, read about real havoc, real pandemic, real death and destruction, read about the bubonic plague, which reared its head uh, three times over the course of history, the second time devastating, wiping out almost half the population of Europe. So don't let them fool you. But these teachers now in the city of Chicago and elsewhere protesting because uh, they refuse to go back to school. They want to have protection. They want to have vaccines. You know, isn't it sad? Isn't it sad that the people charged with the education of our youth can be so ignorant? You're trying to tell me that these simple scientific facts can't be communicated or understood by these people who are supposed to be educated, most of them with master's degrees. If we can't get people with master's degrees to understand it, how are we supposed to get anybody else to understand it? Or maybe education has nothing to do with it. Maybe it's common sense, which has become increasingly uncommon. You know, I've been a big opponent of this uh, remote learning. My own son has been forced to endure this remote learning. But there has been one silver lining, ladies and gentlemen. Because I'm self-employed, because I do these shows and I do a couple of other things, uh, I work for myself, I'm able to have a, a great deal of latitude in terms of how I structure my day. And since my wife also works, on days when she's working, uh, we don't want to leave our son home, so I take my son with me. And because of this, I've been afforded the opportunity to listen to some of the drivel that his teachers speak about in class. Today was a case in point. Lo and behold, I come up on the, in the car and he's working and I hear them talking about Black Lives Matter and how it's not uh, really uh, a, a racist organization. They don't say that just Black Lives Matter, that all Black Lives Matter. And then they proceed to play a tape supplied by another teacher, whom my son had the previous year, which is nothing more than a propaganda piece put out by Black Lives Matter, making foregone conclusions of things that have yet to be determined that George Floyd was murdered, and then revisiting cases that have already been thoroughly investigated by lawful authorities, both state, federal, and local, and deemed to have been justified, and portraying them in a light that's negative and then rearranging the facts. For instance, Trayvon Martin was murdered. Trayvon Martin was beating the crap out of George Zimmerman, and his face proves it. He tried to take that gun from George Zimmerman, and he got shot. Michael Brown, the other famous case. We had perjured testimony in the beginning that said he had hands up, don't shoot. After extensive investigation by the state the local attorney general, the local uh, prosecuting attorney, district attorney, state attorney general, and no less than the U.S. Justice Department under Barack Obama with Eric Holder, not exactly a white supremacist, Eric Holder investigating it for over two years. They concluded there was no evidence to pursue that police officer in the Michael Brown shooting on any federal 
charge whatsoever. In fact, detailed forensic analysis proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that far from running away with his back turned to the police officer and his hands up saying, hands up, don't shoot, like the Rams came out and did after after that in one of their games, Michael Brown rushed the radio car in an attempt to get to the cop before he could get out of the car. The discharge of the gun happened while the cop was in the car, which is why blood matter and all other uh, samples of DNA of Michael Brown were all over the inside of that radio car. Because this thing did not happen the way you were originally led to believe it happened. Michael Brown had done a strong-arm robbery minutes before. I know it's, un- it's unseemly and it's unsettling to hear these things, and no parent wants to listen to their child being described that way or to learn and discover that their child has become something the world can do without. But Michael Brown lived like a thug, and he died like a thug, doing what thugs do, robbing, fighting, resisting lawful authority. Lawful authority that exists so that we, the rest of us, who obey lawful authority, can all live in peace. And now we have teachers displaying this in school. Well, I fully intend to make a formal complaint with the principal, and I intend to make a formal complaint with the superintendent and the chancellor of the New York City school system. This stuff cannot be allowed. So we'll see how it plays out with these schools going back, uh, back to full in-person learning in New York City. If they do, at least that's a step in the right direction. Meanwhile, I told you all, prior to the election and even after the election, that the Black Lives Matter movement, that peaceful movement, and Antifa were not going to stop simply because Joe Biden got elected. It was never going to happen. Over the weekend, they were out with another march, threatening, burn it down, Antifa and BLM uh, protesters clash with police and threaten to torch D.C. But of course, on orders from the Metropolitan Police, no one is arrested. Left-wing Antifa and Black Lives Matter extremists marched through Washington, D.C. on Saturday as part of a D.C. queer and trans black history month march and rally organized on Twitter. What do you know? Organized on Twitter. Wasn't Twitter the company that wanted to ban Donald Trump because he was too much of a threat? Uh, Organizing the assault on the Capitol, which really wasn't an assault on the Capitol and was also facilitated by left-wing extremists designed to try and portray Donald Trump and his supporters in a negative light that we now know was planned weeks in advance. So any uh, suggestion that Trump and his speech that day caused it is obviously patently false. Somehow Twitter doesn't think they're going to ban Antifa or Black Lives Matter for saying, if we don't get it, burn it down. What about that, Mr. Horsey? Was it Horsley? Whatever the hell your name is. Oh, Dorsey. Jack Dorsey. I momentarily confused him with Lee Horsley, which was the actor who used to play uh, Sam Houston on that uh, private eye show back in, the, back in the day. Yes, Jack Dorsey. What about it, Jack? If you can get your head out of your rear end and wake up to reality... Apparently, it isn't only Donald Trump that uses Twitter in a manner which you don't approve of, or maybe you do approve of it, because these are causes that you approve of. 
Let's have a little equal time. Time to, bla- to ban Black Lives Matter and Antifa. And then we're finding other little things out, little tidbits, things that didn't make sense to me, but I kind of had my suspicions. Bill Barr, I thought, was an excellent attorney general when he first joined the Trump team. But with the passage of time, I began to see cracks and things I didn't like. Even up to not that long before the election, I saw him on CNN vociferously defending in-person voting and being sharply critical with Wolf Blitzer about mail-in voting and how it was fraught with a risk of fraud and coercion and corruption. And all of a sudden, everything changed. And now we learn from um, Mr. Navarro, who was uh, Donald Trump's aide, um, Donald Trump's aide, Peter Navarro. Uh, He was on Sunday Morning Futures with Maria Bartiromo uh, this past week. And uh, before, let me digress. I don't know how much longer Maria Bartiromo is going to be on Fox News. You may have heard... um, it happened on Friday, so I didn't cover it. We usually don't do a show on Saturday or Sunday. Many other people have covered it, but um, just an oblique reference here. Lou Dobbs, one of the best hosts on Fox Business, has been discharged by the network for reasons that only can be attributed to the fact that he is very tro- pro-Trump and he actually believed in the election fraud and there was more than ample evidence to justify that belief. But I guess freedom of speech only exists for people who say what you like. And so the Fox News Network, through their owners, the Murdoch family, have decided that they don't like what Lou Dobbs has said, even though he hasn't said anything wrong. We have to get rid of them. It's like William F. Buckley used to say, Democrats and liberals are always open to other views. And then they become very, very surprised to learn that there are other views. And that seems to be the case here. He was discharged. I don't know what the future holds for Lou Dobbs. I do wish him well. He was a voice of reason, and we need him back on the airwaves in some form. Maybe he'll come back on radio. Uh, I don't know. We have Rush Limbaugh, who is in uh, extreme circumstances, as you know, with his health, and I do wish wish Rush, uh, Rush a long and healthy life, and I do pray that he recovers from his cancer. Uh, but uh, we need voices out there, and perhaps... Uh, Lou Dobbs could be one of those voices in the future. But on this interview with Maria Bartiromo, we learned um, from Peter Navarro um, that Bill Barr, Trump's attorney general, actually turned out to be Joe Biden's first attorney general. That was the word of uh, the phrase that Navarro used. He said, we had over 30 executive orders queued up after Election Day, ready to go. This was the Trump administration. But we kept running into all these roadblocks and hurdles. It turns out that Bill Barr's Office of Legal Counsel was fast-tracking all of the Biden executive orders. Basically, it was a deep state coup. And they were slow-walking Trump's executive orders. Isn't that interesting? See, apparently what happens is the Department of Justice has a unit that reviews executive orders Uh, that the president is contemplating before they tell the president, go ahead, you can sign it. Because there is a limit to what a president can do by uh, unilateral executive action. And so he can't make sweeping and substantial changes to the law. There are limits to what can be done by an executive order. So the, um, the Department of Justice 
looks at these executive orders to determine whether or not the president has the authority to do these things. And if they do determine that he has the authority, then you let him go. Okay? It's the DOJ's Office of Legal Counsel. It serves as the final checkbox in the process of determining whether the president has statutory authority to set in motion what the contents of a given order call for. And Peter Navarro maintains here in this article in the the Epic Times that we got slow walked at the Department of Justice. And this is a problem I told Barr about numerous times, and he should have been fired months before he was. By the last year of of this administration, he was really working against this administration in a lot of ways. The bottleneck was at the Department of Justice on so many things we did. And it really is sad that it comes to this. But at the end of the day, I guess we really couldn't expect anything different. Barr uh, was someone who had been in the Bush administration. He's clearly uh, an establishment guy. He's an establishment guy that the um, Democrats didn't like when he was doing things that opposed them. But now that he's coming out, and if he starts saying things against Trump, he'll be back in good graces again. Uh, you know, it's, this was something that Rush Limbaugh had pointed out on his show a few weeks ago. These people that are in the swamp, you know, they're, they're swamp creatures. And as long as they think they're not finished with their careers and there's something else they would like to do in the swamp, they do whatever is necessary to remain in good graces within the swamp so they can come back in some form or another. You really don't have free choice in your elections here in this country. You get to choose between the two choices that the swamp gives you because the swamp may have a preference for one over the other, but the swamp is willing to live with the other should things go against them, which is why they're very careful as as to who they choose to be the other. Uh, Either one We'd like to win with this one, but if we get this one, we can still get things done. That's the way it works. And that's why Trump was so violently opposed by the swamp, because they couldn't control him. They couldn't tell him what to do. The swamp didn't make him. The media didn't make him. And so the swamp and the media couldn't destroy him. Finally, they had to use fraud to destroy him. And more is going to come out about that as, the, as his investigations go forward. In fact... The Supreme Court is thinking about doing some deep investigation on this now. We'll have more on that as we get more information on it. But there are cases that are going to be coming up before the court. They're going to be reviewing things. This is far from over. But what I really wanted to talk about today, and I wasn't planning to, we don't really talk much about sports in this, in this show unless um, somehow sports enters the cultural lexicon and affects more than just what happens on the field. And I saw that yesterday. I didn't watch a single NFL game this year because I wasn't down with people making millions of dollars a year, taking a knee as some faux protest uh, during our national anthem. The anthem which expresses our struggle in the War of 1812 the Star-Spangled Banner, the flag. I just don't agree with it. You have a right to protest, but I think it's the height of disrespect to kneel during the national anthem. And why did it start? It didn't start because of George Floyd. It didn't start because of racial injustice. It started long before this movement happened. It started because a man named Colin Kaepernick, who was 
half black, half white, raised by white adoptive parents, hired by white owners, paid a handsome salary by white owners, uh, and was a very, very potent force in the game for a period of time, suddenly saw his playing days wind down because his skills had eroded, and he was no longer what he had been, and he was in danger of being cut, which he ultimately was. And so he pulled the race card out because he didn't want to be cut. Well, I'm sorry. You're asking to be allowed to start at a position in one of the most difficult games there is to play, which happens to be the most difficult position to play. You know, an old-style bookmaker who knows gambling and knows odds once told me something, which I found very interesting. He said there are only two positions on a football field where injuries to the starting lineup affect the line of the game. Your quarterbacks and your defensive backs, your cornerbacks. Why? Because they're your best athletes on the field, and they are the positions where most teams have the least depth. Starting corners are usually preeminent. The backup corners, in some cases, can be good, but generally cannot compete with the starting corners. Linebackers, unless you're talking about an exceptional linebacker like a Lawrence Taylor or a Ray Lewis, they have backup linebackers who are almost just as good. But almost no team has that kind of bench strength on the, on the corner position, and definitely very few teams have it on the quarterback position. Think of a team whose backup quarterback is even remotely as good as their starter, and you'll learn just how difficult a position it is and just how much of a paucity of talent there is. Uh, but notwithstanding, there is enough talent to field starting quarterbacks in every team. And unfortunately, Colin Kaepernick just wasn't up to that speed. So he was cut. And so now, I say all this to set up what happened at yesterday's game. I promised myself I wasn't going to watch. And then something happened. Watching television during the afternoon, Sunday's one of the few days I kick back and relax, I happened to hit on Channel 2, and the pregame show was on. And instead of reading, looking about you know, what I've seen in years past, stats showing game films of the other teams, I see this presentation about racism in the NFL against black players. Now, and, and, and the historical racism, how in the 30s they conspired to try and keep black players out. Well, that's almost 90 years ago. There's certainly no move to keep black players out of the league now. Uh, the most preeminent players in the league are black. Uh, they play every position. There's probably more black players in the NFL than there are white players. I don't see anybody uh, complaining about that, saying that maybe it, there's reverse prejudice going on. We need more white players. You don't see people complaining. We need more white players in the NBA. I don't particularly care what color a player is. I think... It, to me, it's all about numbers. I want the people who are best. If these guys can put up the best numbers, it wouldn't make a difference to me if all the players in the NFL were black. If these are the best players we can get, I want them as an owner. I want the best. I can pay for the best, and I want the best. And I don't care what their skin color is. Now, it just so happens that the media has to make everything about race. Now, in this particular game, we had the Kansas City Chiefs, which 
probably the most high-octane offense the NFL has seen in quite some time. And they originally had come to prominence a few years back when they lost the AFC title game to the Patriots and Tom Brady uh, because they had a great offense and an opportunistic defense, but the defense was very, very low rated, 31st in the league. Now it's one of the best defenses in the league, number one defense against the run. So now they have an offense, and they've got a defense. Now Patrick Mahomes is a biracial quarterback. He's half white, he's half black. But whenever someone's biracial, they, they call him black. Because if he wins, they want to have that achievement noted as being achieved by someone who's black. They never say biracial, they say he's a black quarterback. Barack Obama was white and black, but he was the first black president. I didn't say these words, so don't say I'm saying it or I'm being racist. I'm just repeating the way he was described, repeating the way Mahomes is going to be described. On the other side of the ball, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team that's only gone and won to the Super, uh, won the Super Bowl one time. They beat the Oakland Raiders, and they did it in rather convincing fashion. But prior to that, and after that, been a rather lackluster franchise. Always been second fiddle among the Florida teams to the Miami Dolphins. But now Brady parts ways with the Patriots, and he goes to Tampa. Nobody expected that. Everybody said, Brady's great. Yeah, but he's a good system quarterback. He's good in that system. It's really Belichick. It's not really Brady. And you got idiots like Max Kellerman on ESPN talking about his spaghetti arm. He can't do this, and you can't do what Aaron Rodgers can do. And uh, By the way, wasn't it Brady and company that beat Aaron Rodgers two weeks ago in the uh, NFC Championship game? I think it was. Uh, and didn't they beat them in Green Bay? Yeah. Yeah, Lambeau Field. That's where they play, right? Lambeau Field. Yeah, I think I recall reading about that. I didn't watch the game, but I did, I did hear about it on the news. I, mean, I do listen to the radio when I drive. So now we have this thing set up. Now, Brady certainly doesn't need any more rings. He had six in nine Super Bowls, which is phenomenal in and of itself to even think that a single player could go to that prestigious game nine times in his career. He went there nine times and he won six of them. Now he's going back. Now, I have nothing against Patrick Mahomes. I think he's a phenomenal quarterback. I think he's the future of the NFL. And I think he's going to go back to that Super Bowl again and again and again. And I know people said that about Dan Marino when he went there the first time and he lost to the 49ers and he unfortunately never went back. But I think... Mahomes has more tools around him to work with, and I think he will be back there. No question. The Chiefs are, the, are for real. They'll be back. And I wouldn't have been disappointed if Patrick Mahomes had won the Super Bowl. It had been well-deserved. But it, it galled me that after all Tom Brady has achieved, the longevity that he's achieved in his career, that there are still haters out there that don't like him, and they, and they don't like him even more because he was a President Trump supporter, and so was Robert Kraft back in New England. And so I thought it was very interesting and very poetic that as soon as Tom Brady left the Patriots and went to a new team, that suddenly that new team was elevated 
And as players came on and they lost their tight end, he induced his old pal Gronkowski to come out of retirement. And what you saw yesterday was a master at work again. Three TDs from Tom Brady. Three touchdown passes. Ten Super Bowl appearances. Seven victories. And yet, I get into my car this morning to come up to my office. It's a little bit after eight, so it's early in the broadcast. I had, just for curiosity, I wanted to see if my theory was right. I turned on the fan, which is the local sports radio here. It's on 660 AM or 101.9 on your FM dial. And I expected to hear all this, these accolades and talk about Tom Brady and the Patriots in the game. And what do I hear instead? I hear them talking about some nondescript pitcher on the Mets and how he played the, um, the Mets just to get more money out of the Dodgers, where he ultimately went to because that's where he grew up and he wanted to go home to L.A. Are you kidding me? Spring training is still six weeks or two months away. We just had a Super Bowl and where a man who's a living legend appeared in his 10th one, won his 7th one, and was elected MVP of the game, and we're talking about some schmuck pitcher in America's pastime, whose time has passed, baseball, because nobody wants to watch it anymore. They've destroyed the game. No drug policy. Jacking up the ball. Juicing up the players. It's America's pastime, whose time has passed. That's what we're talking about the morning after the Super Bowl. We're not talking about Tom Brady. We're not talking about uh, the Patriots uh, uh, vis-a-vis Tom Brady, now that Tom Brady's with the Buccaneers. We're not, we're not talking about any of that. We're talking about a pitcher who's managed to leverage playing off against the Mets to get a better deal with L.A. And so I leave you with this. Do you think that's what they would have been talking about if the Buccaneers had lost and they could have just dismissed Tom Brady despite having still would have had six rings as just being a systems quarterback. He's only good in that system. Forget the fact that the man was great no matter what personnel was around him. He was only good in that system. And Mahomes, he's the future of the NFL. NFL. And he is going to be the future of the NFL. But he wasn't yesterday. Do you think the Chiefs had won? They'd been talking about some pitcher that went to L.A.? I don't think so. And deep down in your hearts, neither do you. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.